more than once, more than twice, God calls our attention to these three groups of people. They're named over and over again almost every time God gives us instructions on how to live as a community. So why would God choose these three particular groups to repeat over and over and over again? In common, they may have grief that they've experienced. A widow, we know at one time, must have been married. So perhaps the grief in losing a spouse The orphan, we know, does not have a mother and or father figure. Perhaps there's grief in losing those people if they ever knew them. And a stranger or a foreigner or an alien may have lost their home in some way, shape, or form. But I think also God chooses these three because they're typically not who we are. And sometimes that means they're the people that we don't think about. So then what is the shared identity among this three that makes God mention them over and over and over. First, the stranger or the alien in your town or the foreigner in your town means they are not from here. Perhaps they're starting a new adventure or perhaps they're escaping an old life. But in some way, they have a broken connection to a home. Home is either a lost dream or it's a future hope. And even in 2020, how pertinent the idea of a foreigner in our town is. We've heard a lot over the past few years about immigrants and refugees. Those are the strangers, the foreigners, the aliens. And I think that God knew at some point in human history, we would struggle between the power of what the words of scripture say and the power of patriotism. And I think God knew perhaps we'd be forced to choose one or the other. The second people group, the orphans, which we understand to be the young people who are perhaps wards of the state, whose power is now or whose life is now in the power of the government because there's no one above them to decide their day-to-day needs. The orphan is not little orphan Annie that's romanticized on Broadway, but the orphan that has no parents, that has no connection 
to adequate resources or education or basic human needs. The child who has lost opportunities for emotional development or intellectual development, the child whose basic needs are not looked after as an individual, but now falls under the orphan title as a group of orphans. And then finally, the widow. The widow whose life circumstances are out of her control, who has been made powerless and vulnerable by the death of a spouse. And because of that, in ancient society, her tie, her worth, has been lost. So God tells us, To pay attention to the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Because these are the three peoples who have lost connection to a place, have lost connection to resources, and have lost a connection to society. In other words, with these lost connections, these people groups are helpless. And they're in our midst. And then God says, after God says, remember the strangers, God said, for you were once strangers. And God reminds the children of Israel, and perhaps even us, that it has not always been this way. By saying, remember, for you were once strangers, God sets up this timeline from where we are to remember where you were. Remember where you have been and how far you have come. Remember the cloud and the fire in the desert. Remember I walked with you. Remember that it was the God who heard your cries and led you out of Egypt. Remember I heard you. And remember there is space. There's time and space between then and now but remember when you were helpless remember how God reacted see prejudice is a sticky word because we associate it with racism or sexism or xenophobia or homophobia and I could go on and on But prejudice at its core is an opinion not based on reason, but emotion. So if God is prejudice, God has opinions that are based on emotions. See, God cares for the entire world. Because God created the entire world, not out of boredom, not out of necessity, but out of love, that emotion. But what we know when God points out the stranger, the widow, and the orphan is that God rarely associates wholly or exclusively with those in power. It is not that God does not love those in power, but instead of power, God desires righteousness for the world, for God's people. 
And there's a Hebrew word that means righteousness, but it's not just righteousness. It also involves justice and it also involves charity. And the best translation that we can have in 2020 of that Hebrew word now is social justice, which means no one should be without human basic needs of existence. And when we have more than we need, here's the charity part. We build a longer table rather than a higher fence. God is actively, actively concerned with the economic and political order, especially of those who are victims of broken connections to a home, to resources, or to society. Because they lack the power, the place, and the voice. And when they lack these, they are helpless. And that helplessness is the worst feeling Known to humankind. Because when we feel it, we can't fix it. So God tells us, remember when you were a stranger. Remember that feeling of helplessness. Remember when you cried out for mercy because you were mistreated as slaves in Egypt. Or remember when you didn't have a home to go back to. Or remember when you couldn't find a friend. Or remember when the paycheck wasn't enough. Or remember when the diagnosis wasn't what you wanted or expected. Or remember when you weren't the right gender for the job. Or remember when you felt misplaced because of your skin color. Or remember... When you were laughed at because your body didn't look like hers or his. Or remember when the words from someone you loved stung deep and long. And remember when someone you loved was taken from this life suddenly and unfairly. And remember that God showed up. Because God, even when we don't feel or sense or know or expect that God is there, God is prejudiced towards those who feel helplessness. God is emotionally moved towards the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. Those without connection who feel helpless and rely solely on the mercy of others. So if God is prejudiced towards those people, so are we. Brian Stevenson is an attorney whose life and work has just been highlighted in a film called Just Mercy. If you have seen it, you know how fantastic it is. If you, had, if you have not seen it, please go see it. Brian Steven, Stevenson is a black attorney who graduates from Harvard and goes to Alabama, rural Alabama, in 1988 to take on the case of several folks who were on death row for crimes they did not commit, but who were put in prison because of their skin color. He comes across Walter McMillan, who was imprisoned in 1988 for a murder he did not commit. He did not have, his family did not have the financial resources or the connections to fight 
that conviction. But because of Brian Stevenson, through grant money, nonetheless, fought for him, in 1993, Walter McMillan was released. And because of this, Brian Stevenson has founded an organization that helps those on death row who are innocent to find appropriate legal counsel. Brian Stevenson said this, though, and, and it's, um, it's stuck with me. The opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. We have been called to join in the work of justice, of making what is wrong right. But justice begins with remembering where we have been and how God has acted to where we are. That's your story. Tell that story. Our third word in our four values is grow. And part of that is being able to tell our story both individually and as a church. So I hope that you are in places where you can continue to tell the story of how this church and this people and this God is working in your life. A few weeks ago at QCC at our quarterly church council, I gave, they're actually small weapons. I didn't mean for that to happen, but I gave a piece of a measuring tape to each person there. Remember that when we grow, we should be able to look back and remember where we were. Growth is not just showing up. Growth is moving forward. What are you doing to grow? We also grow as individuals by intentionally putting ourselves in places where there are strangers and widows and orphans. Whatever that looks like in our 2020 context, those without connections, we are intentionally putting, our pla- putting ourselves in places with those folks. And lastly, a little different grow, is that we're called to grow a generation We're called to grow the children and youth into faithful people. And I've come to learn, for better or for worse, that they will watch what we do more than they hear what we say. Y'all know. (laughs) There's a gentleman by the name of Fred Banson who is director of the Food, Faith, and Religious Leadership Initiative at Wake Forest Divinity School. He also wrote the book Soil and Sacrament, where he talks about his experience getting close to the dirt and gardening and how he experienced God through, uh, through that. His travels took him to Central America, where he met with some farmers there, and they told him about this process they use. You may have heard of it. It's called the Trinity. Not our Trinity, but a different kind of Trinity. What they would do is they would plant corn in a row. And when the corn got to about knee height, they would then at the base of the corn plant pole beans. So as the pole beans grew, they would have a built-in trellis to grow on. And as those pole beans started to grow, he would then plant squash 
at the bottom of that. Because if you grow squash, you know that the leaves are big and they grow towards the ground. So the squash would then keep the soil moist. And the pole beans would pull the nitrogen from the air to give to the corn. And then the corn would provide adequate shade so none of the pole beans or the squash would become dry. Any one of those three vegetables could grow alone. But how much more fruit do they bear by growing together? Amen.